It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Take Talk Podcast. My name is Steve O'Rourke, and as always, with me is my co-host, Brett Whitefield. Brett, a lot of money being thrown around the NFL today. Dude, no kidding. It's it's like being on a game show or even like Oprah Winfrey show where she's just throwing cash out to everybody. Like people are getting absolutely paid. I don't I don't even remember a the dawn of training camp being quite this crazy. Like we had what? One, two, three, four, five, six just mega extensions in the last like five days, starting with Quinn and Williams. Right. Andrew Thomas appeal. Trayvon Diggs, Laramie Tunsil, and Titus Howard, Texans tackles, yep. both got deals. And then Justin Herbert comes in with the mega five-year, $262 million contract. What in the world is happening? It just it, like The contract numbers just don't even phase me anymore. I remember when $100 million used to be like getting over $100 million was a big deal. And now that's just like, it just feels like a baseline <laughs> for a lot for a lot of like big-name player contracts. I mean – Andrew Thomas got five years, $117 million. Oh, dude. Which is massive for a tackle. I mean, he's, he's good, so it's like that makes sense. But the Giants have done three mega yeah. offseason deals now. With Jones and they had um, Dexter Lawrence and now Andrew Thomas. Like, they are locked up cornerstones. Yeah. And – so what you see there is pretty much what you're going to get. They're not going to have a whole lot of cap space to be super aggressive probably moving forward, and they're going to you know, play the whole draft and develop game. They're going to have to play that yeah. very smartly, but wild stuff. Um, let's talk Herbert's deal for a second. I just wanted to know. It's pretty interesting. Like Mahomes' deal, now obviously – you know, every year whatever new quarterback gets signed is going to reset right. the market, so I'm not saying – it's just funny that Mahomes got his deal – at what 45 AAV after when going to two Super Bowls, winning one, and then winning an MVP award, and Justin Herbert basically got his deal after doing absolutely yeah. His, his team has made it to the playoffs once. Yeah, yeah once. Um, yeah, it's just you know, and I obviously I, I like Herbert. I think he's got a ton of potential, and Kellen Moore is probably the guy to get him over the hump. It's just crazy to juxtapose those two worlds where it's like Mahomes was already so accomplished by the time he got his mega deal and Herbert is still we're still waiting for that that right. moment you know and it's it's kind of crazy to lock into a guy without actually seeing the moment happen. that's the reality of quarterbacks now though is that once you yes. like you either have a rookie quarterback that you're building to pay this or you're about to pay a guy this or you're stuck in like mediocrity of you know swimming in that middle zone of a quarterback that's maybe you know middle of the road a Derek Carr Jared Goff level quarterback and then you're paying them you know 40 million a year like that just seems to be the, like other or you're just stuck in you know having a bad quarterback whether that be a rookie bank down that didn't work out or you're just trying to like fill fill a gap until you get a rookie quarterback there's it's just like there's not that yeah. many realities in the NFL anymore when it comes to like who you have behind center or in like what your team is trying to be. It seems like the the only two relevant formulas, and you mentioned this pre-show, is you know get build the team up, get the rookie quarterback, excel, 
or once the rookie quarterback is developed into a stud, lock him in long term and then just pray every year you have enough firepower to get right. there. There's not really, you know, you're not seeing a lot of like mediocre quarterbacks get to the Super Bowl and win. It's obviously Tom Brady's dominated the last 20 years of football, but even beyond that, I mean, it's it's pretty much elite quarterbacks that get there yeah. and get it done. Um, Stafford's probably the most recent guy who, you know, I don't think he's ever been really elite, but he's been yeah. very good, and he was very good that season. He's he's arguably elite that season. So, um, but still, man, this is this is nuts. I mean. Hopefully it works for them. I mean, it was <laughs> like it's say. like Joe Flacco was really the start of that debate. It felt like of like the what yeah. like the core, the middle quarterback of like is he elite because he won the because he won the Super Bowl because only elite quarterbacks were winning Super Bowls or was it the team like that was the origination of like that big debate and now it is it's like you you either have to have an elite quarterback or a rookie quarterback who who's on their way to being elite. Yeah. Well, and what's crazy about the Flacco thing, too, is like he, for the most part, was just really mid right. all year. And then they get into the playoffs and he went right. berserk. And, and when you when you look at the contract post playoff run, you're like, man, if they can get that out of him for the entirety of that contract, it doesn't look too bad. Like that they're going to be a, a, a legit right. team every year. And they were they were still competitive oh, yeah. with Flacco. But the point being is he never played at that level close right. again. <laughs> Like that that playoff run they had was was magical and you know he he was elite for the right, right four games, right. <laughs> you know, but that's basically it. So, um, man, crazy stuff. Justin Herbert, five years, two sixty two. This puts all attention on Joe Burrow now yeah. in that class. Tua, to an extent, I don't think Tua is going to get that kind of deal, mostly because of health, right? And just the resume, not quite even to what Herbert's was, but maybe he gets something closer to Daniel Jones. Um, but Burrow's gonna he's gonna break things yeah oh his i mean he probably hits over 300 million in his extension i got a complete sidebar question for you what have you been paying attention to to professional soccer uh men's like mls not mls but the this contract just got signed uh killian mbappe yeah one year one billion oh yeah, one billion. So the Saudis got involved with in golf yeah. here, and basically, it's just what people don't understand is that they're they're spending money on sports for their own entertainment right. at this point. It's not even a right. business venture. They're not like really trying to make money. They're just like, yeah, we we want to own this. So they want to influence sports. So they, yeah, they basically forced PGA to to merge with them, and now they're doing this in soccer where it's like. Mbappe is probably he's not even like top three in the world. He's close. He's young and he's close. He's he's a very good player. I don't follow soccer that much, but they spent three hundred million, so more than the Justin Herbert contract, just to buy him out of his current contract yeah. so they could sign him. That dude is insane. So like, it took me a second to actually get sticker shock over Herbert's deal because I just saw this Mbappe deal, and over the course of that season, they're they're basically spending a billion dollars on yeah, one soccer. Play. Soccer's a different animal. That like EPL, Champions League stuff. Yeah, but even the even the most profitable teams, like you, they'll never see a return no. on that investment. That's that's literally just no. fu money. I mean, that's, that's, that's just insane. we want to show that we have the best players because they made like a similar deal to Messi too. Yeah. So how 
so I'm just like, it's kind of cool that the NFL has a salary cap because it's going to stop this from happening to the NFL. Well, that's like, well, at least temporarily until the Saudis start their own <laughs> football league. I, I mean, money's the talk in a lot of leagues. Like, look at the MLB and what, like, the big topic is what is Shohei Otani oh. going to sign for? Because that man yeah. should just get a blank check. Well, just wait until, you know, that, that Saudi organization buys an MLB team and gives right, well, Otani. Yeah, right, right. Because that's a league that's, like, ripe for it. It's like, if you can spend the money, you can oh, go exactly. get whoever you want. It's the it Wild is. West, bro. And there's, yeah, NBA is another one where it's like if there was no salary cap, it would be dominated by, by uh, overseas oh, yeah. players for yeah. sure. <laughs> uh, it's because because NBA is global too. Like LeBron James is on every TV across the world. I mean, Kobe you Bryant know? was like the most famous athlete in the world for a while. Yeah, exactly. Um, but anyways, cool little. I, anytime I see players lining up, getting this kind of cash, it, I like it. It's exciting. These guys have worked hard for it. Trayvon Diggs getting almost yeah. 100 mil as a corner is cool. Tunsil getting a, a third deal now. He's on his third massive contract. Titus Howard getting paid. Like I just, I love to see it. And then we got Saquon. And then Saquon got paid. <laughs> Saquon. Saquon got a bump. He got a little bump. He did. What he, what he, what he got a million-dollar bump. Right. Steve. Listen, that's crazy. That, that's a good amount of money. <laughs> it's a good amount of money. There's other guys on the same day as Saquon that got. I know. Is it like what? Like literally, literally a fifty million dollar raise. Like, per what do you year. think the? What do you think like inside the Giants locker room? Like Saquon reports to camp, and these three guys walk up with their new their new Brinks trucks that they're driving to and from work. And then Saquon has to like, no, like, because he's right or he's basically a part of that core. So there's got to yeah, be a little yeah. bit of he's like, especially from the leadership, right? Of the team. There's got to be a little bit of like, what like, the hell? What the hell is this guy's? I know it's not supposed to be this way, but you can't deny that money and prestige interrupts power dynamics. Yeah. <laughs> Like what is what is Saquon like the f- sixth highest paid guy in the team and and by like talent he's probably recognized as the best player on right. the team, regardless of position. I'm saying um, that's just a weird power dynamic. Yeah. Like, like if it, they need to do him right, he should not have to pay for a single meal this year. Somebody should be buying that man right, a new car. Right. Like, they do Saquon right, but he got he got a little bump, 900k in incentives. Yep. No, not actual guarantees, um, and those incentives are completely contingent on. A wide variety of statistical outputs, as well as the Giants making. Which that's, I mean, that's quite the bet to make. It is quite the bet to make. It also, what it screams to me, Steve, is like Saquon never seemed like a guy that wanted right. to hold out, and then he held out, but was like, "Well, I don't want to look like a coward right. now, so please help. <laughs> like, can we please do something so I don't look like I backed off my, you know, right. off my stance right. that easily." I want to be with my boys. Like I want to be out there grinding. Um, and he even said he did that podcast experience last week, and not one time listening to him talk, I was like, "Yeah, that's a guy that's going to hold out for a long time." <laughs> like he just wants right. to be out there and play. Clearly, just so, posturing. Yep. Clearly, and what, oh, the crazy part about the renegotiation too is he didn't like the Giants retained their right to franchise tag him next year. <laughs> if anything, if you negotiate anything, it should right. have been that. Like. I'm taking this right. off the table. 
and he didn't even get that. So that's crazy. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he maybe he likes the franchise tag because it will be twelve million next year, and it's fully guaranteed. So I guess that's one way of looking at it. I mean, yeah, it's a way. It's a way to max out your value as a running back. It's just that you know, yeah, you're, it, you're rolling the dice with it. Yeah. Hopefully for Saquon, he stays healthy, absolutely crushes it this year, and then gets himself a, you know, a reasonable deal next year. Um, but we spent plenty of time talking about running back contracts last week. Steve, this week, I want to get into a coaching discussion. I wanted to talk about what do you think teams look for in a future head coach or should look for? I guess those are probably two separate little sidebars. Um, and then... I also want to get into some candidates where you're like, I think these are the next guys. This is the next crop that has to prove themselves. And then come coaching cycle next year, we'll be looking at, you know, we'll be looking at these guys as the the future head coaches yeah. of the NFL. But let's start with that, like traits. I have four traits I think teams should look for. And I think they do. I'm just not sure they do it in the right order. Yeah. But yeah, I'm curious on your thoughts as well. Um, I mean, first off the bat, the, for like the very first thing that, you know, hit my head is like a guy just to be a head coach, the guy has to be like a leader. Like he has to be able to command yes. a room. I mean, there are like some instances of like coordinators who are a little bit more behind the scenes, a little bit less vocal. But if you're the head coach, like I think it starts with being able to like command a room and handle a lot of different personalities. Yep. I think this is the number one trait. And I, I lumped leadership slash administration yeah. in the same bucket. And I know it's not really the same thing, but I think maybe I should have separated them actually. But um, to your point, leadership is by far the most prominent thing a coach needs. And unfortunately, it is probably the hardest thing for the fan or even guys like us to right. measure because we're not in the locker room. We don't see these guys every day. And I don't think teams necessarily rank this high enough themselves. I think a lot of times they get caught up in pedigree slash right. scheme, which the NFL is always changing. You can't hang your hat on that necessarily. I do think it's important, but leadership is by far the most. If you cannot lead men, if you don't know how to develop relationships and, and build relationships, you're going to struggle in just about every facet yeah. of coaching. Um, I mean, shoot, there's a reason like – the, the coaches that have been super successful, they they're known as being great leaders, you know, um, Mike Tomlin's a great example of someone who's just revered as a great leader, Bill Belichick. He is, and they all have their unique right. style. There's not a one size right. at all, but you have to motivate, lead, develop relationships. And you know, your core, you have to live out your core values live in front of your team. Basically that's the easiest way to lead people. So, um, I, th I definitely think that's a number one trait administration is also very underrated because like a lot of people think you get hired as a head coach and it's like, Oh, a lot of die. You live in player personnel land where you're just doing evaluations and coaching right. and designing plays. like, no, that's what your coordinators do. And your position coaches do as a, as a, as a head coach, you're almost like the president of the right. United States. It's like, you need to know a little bit about everything. And then you have people, your cabinet that kind of runs the show, actually your chief of staff runs the show you're just there to administrate and you know develop those relationships with those coaches and get the team heading in the right direction yep. by proxy you know 
call it decentralized command where you're you're empowering this coach to do this this coach to do this and like that administrative quality is in coaches that truly fail when they get hired it's usually because they don't have that gifting matt patricia is a great one that comes to mind um i went to two of his training camps it just seemed like the team was a complete yeah. mess oh yeah HR. no one knew they were supposed to be coaches you know weren't on the same page it was it was just constant chaos and just that administrative gifting wasn't there um so i think teams need to like that would be number two on my list if i if i broke this out into five traits i think that would be number two on my yeah. list <clears throat> i think there's i think another one that's really big for me i think the matt patricia thing is one that reigns true there is just being malleable in like what you're running like i think that adaptability what? exactly adaptability of like of like being able to you know well you, obviously you get hired a lot of times you generally have an x's and o's vision offense defense but being able to you know trust your coordinators hire your coordinators and trust them that they know what they're doing and like being able to okay you know i wanted to come in and run you know this scheme but you know, this coordinator, I hired a coordinator. They came in, they saw something different with the personnel we have and what we're trying to build. Yeah. So I, they want to go a different direction. Yeah. Take it. I try like, trust you go ahead. Like just being able to, you know, come off your ideas a little bit. You don't have to, you know, you're the head coach. You yeah. still get, you know, top say in what's happening, but like being able to understand that you're not always the smartest person in the room. For sure. Adaptability is so important. We see it with like, a good example of adaptability would be Kyle Shanahan. It's like he did come from this pedigree, the scheme, obviously being um, – why did I forget his dad's Mike. name? Oh, my God. Mike Shanahan. <laughs> obviously being Mike's son. Um, he had that pedigree, and then they hired him for that scheme specifically. But the scheme is adapt. Like he's changed yeah. the scheme as the years have gone on, as defenses have caught on. That's a big one. It's like you constantly have to be in touch with you know, where the market is, how defenses are playing you, what your personnel groupings, strengths and weaknesses are, and then you're adapting, you know, making decisions based on all that. You know, you're accounting for like a multi-varied analysis where, you know, you have to ch kind of change what you do based on, you know, how successful you are. And Kyle Shanahan's done that tremendously. Like that offense gone has gone through a pretty stark evolution over the last four years. And what's crazy is they still have like their core philosophies, their right. core plays, but they look right sometimes. Like they're running them from different now or they're you know I, a couple years ago they added motion to like every single play and they went away from the wide zone yeah. like they were the wide, wide zone team in the nfl and now they kind of dialed that back teams figured that out a little bit so now they're you know, a little bit more inside zone mid zone even added some gap concepts to the mix like um he's a really great example of adaptability now i don't think he's the best in-game decision maker as a coach but as far as like play structure and personnel usage like he's done a really really good job with yeah. his adaptability um, another one, like this goes without saying, but people don't think about it is player development. Yeah. So like, GMs are responsible and on the hook for player evaluations and, and scouting that potential. But the coach is the one who's going to get that potential out of them. And a lot of times they're empowering somebody else to, to really hammer that, whether it's your position coaches or whatever. But the reality is like, if you don't have a clear understanding of how to develop players or a clear plan, you're just not going to develop players yeah. and it's going to be a slow grind and you're not going to maximize talent. And when you're not maximizing talent, you're not winning football games. So like 
player development is is absolutely crucial for uh, I think a longevity in the NFL for a coach. Oh yeah, because that's I mean that's where you start to get your value and your performance out of guys that are coming out of your mid to late rounds. I mean teams that are good are built off of guys that you know come in and contribute at like in their from the fourth round, fifth round. You know, low money veterans like those are the guys that you know quote unquote complete the team and development from the head coach and the coordinators and it starts with the head coach is like a huge part of that and on and also just being able to put those guys in the right position to succeed of like you know not every play like we've seen it a bunch of times but not every player comes in the position that they end up playing but being able to like understand where a guy's strength is and being okay with like working with them to develop and being okay with them, you know, not being the greatest in the beginning, but you're working toward a greater goal. Yep. That's a hundred percent true. Um, whether it's a position change or even like a, an usage change, like, Hey, when we scouted this guy, we thought, you know, he was going to be a physical X receiver. That's more of a downfield guy. And then he gets in the lock, you know, gets on the field and we're just not seeing that. Yeah, we can develop that, but is there a better way to use him right now while he develops those skills to continue building that confidence? Um, like, that's something like fans almost never right. think about. You know, it's like, um, you know, what what that plan actually looks like, and you know, how much do you put on a player's plate at once? You know, you, it's almost like a a tempering process where you feed him a little bit, and as his, that stomach grows, you know, like a baby, you start feeding him more and more food, and then eventually you're giving him, you know, chicken right. and steak. As opposed to sweet potatoes and, and right. corn, you know. <laughs> um, last, I think the the least important trait, as far as like the, I would say my core traits would be pedigree and scheme. I've I've mentioned that term a few times already, but like, I think the NFL way overvalues this. We've seen that with the whole McVay Shanahan tree. Like pe- teams are just picking off their tree. Guys that have literally yeah. never coached, like barely coached in the NFL. And they're like Zach Taylor's a great example. Now he's had success, more success than I ever <laughs> thought he would have. I still, he's a very good head coach, but um, like that was a guy with very limited experience. Gets picked right off of. Um, yeah, because he was the, he was the quarterbacks and, coach at the time, wasn't he? he would, like it's not like he was a coordinator. He had never played. Right. I know that. Um, yeah, he was the quarterbacks coach because uh, Lafleur was the. Yep. Um, Green Bay Lafleur was the, uh, yep. the OC also never plays and then left for Tennessee to call plays there and then got his Green Bay Packers job. But point being is like, yeah, pedigree and scheme is like pedigree is always nice. You want to know a coach that you're hiring, learn from right. a great coach, but we've also seen this fail right. so many times. Think about the belt. It's like people keep doing this where they're hiring a guy off of that tree just because of the pedigree or the or the defensive scheme he's going to bring but nobody's bill belichick you can't get into his mind it doesn't work the same way for all these guys and some of their success so it's really hard to detach a co- like when you're looking at coordinators as a potential head coaching guy it's really hard to detach how much of the success they had was because of him or was it because of his head coach or his players was he just in a gifted a really good situation like it's really hard to figure that yeah. out sometimes turns out a lot of the these guys, especially Josh McDaniels, he had Tom Brady at quarterback for 20 years. Right. Um, turns out that makes you look pretty darn good. And then when you get your own situation and you're put under pressure, 
doesn't always work. That pedigree and that scheme seem to fall apart a little bit. So yeah, when you when you have yeah, players think, perfectly you know, crafted for your scheme, like Belichick does. Yeah. Yeah, and he's also like Belichick's one of the rare examples because he's also the talent evaluator there. So like when he's scouting players, like he sees exactly what he right. wants out of them. So who's to say that? You know, Matt Patricia or even like Jared Mayo is a guy we might even get into t- discussing here because he seems to be a, a hot name for yep. a potential head coach. Like, well, I, I love Jared Mayo as a player. I think he's done a good job as a, as a coach in New England. But like, does he see the field the same way Belichick does? Because he, can he look at a player and know exactly what he wants out of them? You know, within the confines of that scheme, he's going to get hired strictly because he can implement the Belichick right. scheme. And is that necessarily a good thing? Because he's not Belichick. So. And that's where you hope with Mayo, not to jump into a different topic, but with him, you would hope that the part of being a former player comes into play as well. Yeah. He'll definitely earn respect right. in the locker room, which is goes back to the leadership administration quality. It's like, that's a good starting right. point for sure. And I have high hopes for him. I think maybe he might be one of the guys that have, that'll buck the trend. I mean, Vrabel's been a great coach. He never coached for Belichick, though. But Vrabel played for Belichick, and, you know, you can argue he got his opportunity as a coach. Yeah, right, that, it definitely but. helped. Yep. Well, let's get into it, Steve. Let's, let's, talk, let's talk candidates. I mean, we're starting a new year here. There's definitely a, a short – I'm sure anyone can Google – a list of names you should look out for. I've got I got my own right. set of names. Um, sure, a lot of them overlap with a, a list you could Google. But let's let's throw out some candidates the, that you think could easily be in the, the cycle next year. I think we'll get one out of the way right away because he's one of our guys. Right. He's our guy, and that's Ben Johnson, yep. Lions OC. I think everybody is just assuming he's gone right. next year. Right, <laughs> like literally, whether you're a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan or a Detroit Lions fan, like everyone just assumes that guy's going to be a head coach. Right. It's pretty year. much just like, yeah, he went back to, uh, you know, he wanted to do one more year, but then after that he's gone, which, you know, I mean, he's shown that he, you know, he can innovate in the way that, you know, a McVay or a Shanahan can, you know, he has to show it long-term. He has to show it for another year. I think that this is a, this is a big year for him as far as, you know, if he gets another chance to head coach next year and things like that, I think that, you know, his biggest thing is just being able to maintain what he had built last year and just being able to show the versatility that he showed that he has in his bag last year because, you know, this is, you know, they've got more weapons. Jared Goff's a year older in the system. And I think that people are respecting Goff a little bit more, which also puts a little bit more on ben johnson's plate of like you know you don't you're not seen as like having a negative at quarterback so you don't get you don't get an uptick from like you know solid performance it needs to be good performance this year from the offense yeah it's interesting because one of the consistent themes with guys that get their first coaching opportunity it's usually when they're tied to an extreme breakout of a player usually quarterback uh, the other guys on this list we'll get into, but they've interacted with Mahomes and Josh Allen, and so you'll you'll see Jalen Hurts. You'll see how that kind of all comes together. And Ben Johnson, the the leap the Lions offense made, he kind of took over play calling with like six games left yep. in twenty twenty one from from 
reports, but we don't know officially, but that's what it sounds like. The leap that offense made just from that moment, the rest of 2021, and then all of last year, um, and then presumably they'll have success this year, is, I mean, that's going to get Ben Johnson a job, basically, because Goff at the time was considered to be broken. Right. Like, he was traded yep. from the Rams. He had looked horrible his first 10 games in a Lions yep. uniform. Or it was eight games, and then – and then all of a sudden, that offense just came alive. Um, some games without Goff, even. And then last year, Goff looked like a totally new man, looked like his old self. So Ben Johnson's going to inevitably get the credit for fixing yeah. Jared Goff and getting that number one overall quarterback back to, to form. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's deserving. I He seems like he's very smart in that he's not just going to take any job. He's waiting for the yeah. right opportunity. So what jobs have become available? But... Um, I would assume he is definitely going to be the the hot name on the side. Yeah, he also got paid more money from Detroit, and I don't think we ever knew how much more he got paid. So, I know it was significant. I think I'm pretty sure he's now the highest paid OC in the league. Rightfully so. Uh, yeah, and that was basically we've never seen the Ford family do that. They've never cared enough to open their pocketbook to keep right. the coordinator. So that's big. Um, why don't you throw out a guy? Uh, another one that I think could make a big that could make the jump next year is uh, Mike Kafka. I have him on my list yeah. as well. Kafka, you know, like you said, it's usually tied to the breakout, the fix of some guy, generally a quarterback. Kafka comes in last year, you know, gets you know helps orchestrate an offense where Daniel Jones gets this extension. I mean, Daniel Jones had a foot out the door. Going into last year, it was pretty much like, all right, this is his swan song. You know, who knows where he goes next year? Who knows what he becomes in the NFL? You know, after uh, 2022, does he just, you, you know, the talks of like his career as Mitch Trubisky were already starting. And then Kafka comes in with with Dable and, you know, or builds and orchestrates an offense that, you know, highlighted a lot of Daniel Jones's strengths and really worked with him to develop him into a solid NFL starter. And so I think that if you continue to see the Giants build on this and get better and you see Daniel Jones take another step this year and they become a competitive team, and especially where they're, if their offense is running you know, a lot more smoothly, they get some weapons back this year, like Wandale Robinson, a guy who was starting to come on a little bit for them uh, last year. You see, If you see them start to orchestrate more of the weapons that they have, uh, I think I think Kafka will be right there at the top of a lot of lists, especially considering you know he you know coming from Kansas City, working with Mahomes and all that. He's got kind of both point A and point B of like fixing a guy and working with an elite guy under his belt. That's what I was going to say. Is we talk about we talked about pedigree and scheme. He kind of checks multiple boxes yeah. there. He was the quarterback. He was the pass game coordinator for the Chiefs during 2020 and 2021. So, both very good teams. Obviously, they won it all in 2020. Um, quarterbacks coach for the Chiefs before that, and then so he's worked with Mahomes and Andy Reid. So he's got that that pedigree, that development, and then he was a former quarterback himself. So again, talking about leadership, like he checks a lot of boxes yeah. there. I think <laughs> we don't know about adaptability yet. We don't really know about player development yet. Um, but I mean, we, we would assume that, you know, he'll, he'll, uh, interview well, um, 
Oh, one point I was going to make too, Steve. Sorry, not to divert, but anytime you see a coach get hired that we're like, that guy should never got a chance. John Gannon comes to mind <laughs> yeah. for Arizona. You have to automatically, like in my opinion, at least, because I, I don't think NFL teams are stupid. I think they do stupid yeah. things sometimes, but I think they know what they're looking for in coaches. So you have to assume a guy like that interviewed really well and he proved to them that he's got one of those traits in some type of elite fashion. With Gannon, I would bet his leadership slash administration skills are very high, just listening to him talk yeah. and stuff like that. So um, that's how a guy like that gets a job when he's not, hasn't been a very good coordinator from a play-calling perspective. So, um, But yeah, back to Kafka. Kafka is a, a legit candidate, um, especially I think Daniel Jones is going to take another step forward yeah. this year too, and that's going to really help his resume out yeah sure. if they make if, um also another, i was gonna say if they oh, make sorry, the playoffs i think kafka's gone yeah 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 for sure he might even be right. anyways teams are like obsessed with young offensive minds i think kafka's like 35 36 yeah i mean <laughs> that's gonna be tough uh another one i'll throw out there is uh brian callahan yeah bengals oc i mean he young guy uh, not quite as young as Kafka and Ben Johnson, but he's a young guy. Bengals OC, obviously that offense is prolific, but he also, like, underrated notes on his resume. He was with the Lions during Matthew Stafford's best year as a quarterback as a quarterback in a Lions uniform. He's with the Raiders during Derek Carr's best year as a Raider. So, like, he's worked with three pretty good quarterbacks, and he's been with them during their best seasons. So... I think his resume is very solid, you know, then you not to mention the fact that like, you know, the coaching tree extravaganza that is the NFL Callahan, you know, coming from the, the Zach Taylor slash Sean McVay tree. Like that's, that's going to be a big win I think for, for him and how teams view him. So. Yeah, I agree. I think that, I mean, yeah. working with Burrow and having him take the steps that he has and, you know, I don't know if he calls plays, but you know, there's been a lot of, debate and about whether Cincinnati who calls plays and all that but I mean he's he's helped orchestrate an insane offense there's no there's no uh, changing that that like yeah he's had some insane weapons and Chase and Higgins and Joe Burrow but still he's been able to maximize them and turn them into what they are and you know he's clearly good at getting getting the, the most out of the guys and knowing their strengths I mean not every coordinator would have built a, a go ball centric offense with Joe Burrow and Chase, but hey, he helped build it, and that it's it's you know easy, but it's tough to stop, and that's just you know understanding where to where and when to maximize your the talent from your players. Yep, um, I think those three guys we just mentioned are the premium offensive guys. I think there's like a handful yeah. more. Including one with the last name Moore. <laughs> yeah, he get, <laughs> Callum Moore could be it, it. If they if he can get the most out of Herbert, he can get if they can win thirteen games and their offense just goes. I think Callum Moore's got a chance, but I think that he's got a decent amount of having to prove himself this year after kind of what Dallas. Not that Dallas's offense has been bad. Dallas's offense has been you know, one of the best in the NFL when Dax stayed healthy. But I think that he needs to wash the stink of, like, their playoff shortcomings. And, and that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 
I, I like Kellen. Here's the thing with the contract Herbert just signed and the weapons they have. If Herbert doesn't take a step forward, I think more will be very quickly out of discussion yeah. for head coach yeah. opportunity because someone's going to have to be accountable yeah. for that, right? And uh, I doubt Brandon Staley is going to do that. So um, I'm not saying he gets fired or anything. I'm just saying I I just don't think he'll even be right. considered if if they don't take a step forward. So I think we'll find out quickly whether or not he's going to be a candidate. Um, the other two offensive guys I'll throw out quickly, Ken Dorsey, Buffalo offensive coordinator. Um, you talk with Josh Allen or hear him talk. He attributes a lot of his success and development to Ken Dorsey specifically, not to Brian Dable necessarily. He says good things about Dable, of course, but he's really yeah. praised Dorsey. Uh, Josh Allen basically, you know, panicked when Dorsey was leaving, going to the Giants last year. Dorsey flips last minute. You kind of have to think that was Josh Allen saying, dude, don't leave me. <laughs> so um, Dorsey for sure made the right call there, I think, because getting to work with Allen probably better than getting to work with Daniel Jones, even though we have seen development there. Um, the last guy would be Brian Johnson, Philadelphia OC, and he's re- he's a wild card right now because he's his first year yep. in a big role. But he's working with Jalen Hurts. Similar story to Dorsey in Buffalo where – he, he took an incomplete product and made it complete and uh, and Jalen Hurts. And well, I don't know who's going to get credit for that. could be Shane Steichen. could be um, – I'm think I'm blanking on the head coach's name. Oh, but, God. I am uh, – so Sirianni. There it is. Sirianni could be, could be Sirianni getting the credit for that. But ultimately, someone will say it was Brian Johnson that did that. And he might get a head coaching opportunity. Yeah, because yeah if they don't take a step back or even take a little bit of a step forward on offense, then you've seen stories like that plenty of times of a guy stepping into a, a new already built offense, that offense excelling and then them jumping right to a head coaching job. You see that like you see head coaching candidates on the defensive side of the ball go from hot name to zero, like within a year, like I think of Terrell yeah. Austin. DC of the Lions, the 2014 historic run. I think one year he, he interviewed for jobs after yep. that season. Then next year they fell to like 30th in the NFL. I don't think he got another head coaching interview yeah. after that. Yeah, because D I mean defense been, is a little less sticky. Just because very, of you know turnovers much, and yeah. stuff, which like that's why I think a guy whose name we've heard before We'll probably get re I think reintroduced again if they maintain, but that's I think we could see Dan Quinn's name get thrown around again. I he's number one on my list for like, defensive guys. He, you know, I think a lot of people, including myself, expected Dallas to kind of take a step back because of, you know, that turnover luck they had in twenty twenty one. I think a lot of people kind of expected that to, you know, skew back toward the the mean and they still maintain. They still were a very good defense last year, and I think that Dan Quinn's a big reason, a big reason behind it. And I think that a lot of a lot of teams are recognizing that, and a lot of teams I think are going to keep their eye on him if they can, you know, maintain a similar top ten performance this year. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think he's a good coach. Um, one of the traits we listed as on our list was adaptability. I think. Quinn got stale in Atlanta. He tried so bad to recreate what the Legion of Boom yep. was doing, and then he never had the epiphany of, I don't have Richard Sherman and Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor. 
he got fired from that job, sat out the rest of that year, and then ended up with Dallas. And I think you know he's changed enough where the scheme looks a lot different. He's not running the elephant front as much anymore. Um, he's not only a cover three coverage yeah. shell anymore. He's made proper adjustments. He's shown he's has that adaptability trait. Now, I think he's probably you know one of the few sad stories that's going to get a second opportunity to be a head coach. He did take a team to the Super Bowl for God's sake. It's the Atlanta Falcons yeah. too, who's like a garbage organization historically. So, and it's in I, like um, the biggest, like you said, with adaptability, the biggest thing. I mean, he went from, like you said, what it was in the Legion of Boom and even what it was in Atlanta to now he runs out of defense where, you know, he pretty consistently plays six defensive backs. And he's shown that, like, yep, like we said, maximizing the talents of his players of, like, realizing that he, he wants to get uh, J-Rod Curse out there as much as possible because he realizes the utility he has. He tries to get Donovan Wilson and puts him in the box as basically like a box linebacker safety. Like, he's found the talent in-house with some guys that maybe weren't as big of names. And he's kind of, you know, turned them into being weapons he can deploy on his defense, which has been fun to watch. I know like Dallas is, I think Dallas's defense is a blast to watch. And it seems like he's finally making the right move and putting Micah Parsons at a pass rusher full time, which that in and of itself, I mean, yeah, it may have taken him a little bit too long to realize it, but Hey, we're at least getting there. And that that's a, that's showing a step in adaptability. Yeah. Well, you can't tell me other NFL teams wouldn't have struggled the same Absolutely. way. Absolutely. There's, there's teams that would have not done it. I mean, or, or coordinators, coaches that would yeah. have not even done it and put Parsons at edge full time. So, um, yeah, I, I love that. It did take a little too long for me, but we're also staring at the numbers constantly and realizing how good right. Parsons is as an edge defender. You know, we've talked about the positional value thing at nauseum, so we won't really get into it. But, you know, for a guy like Quinn, he's looking at Parsons like, well, I can either have the best linebacker in the NFL or the best edge defender in the NFL. It doesn't really matter where he plays. To right. Me. But Riddick's say the the best option is for him to rush the passer. So anyways, uh, I totally agree. I think I think he gets a, another shot if, if the Cowboys defense is good. And they're they're prime oh, yeah. very good this year. Um, they added uh, Stefan Gilmore. To the cornerback room, which is going to help them. And they drafted Mozzie Smith, Another, who I think will help short the middle there. Oh God, yeah, that's going to be nasty. They have just freaks along the yeah. line in general, just everywhere. Um, Lou Anna, Maru- Anna Rumo yep. from Bengals, another Bengals yep. guy, DC. This dude, uh, he doesn't necessarily have the pedigree or scheme, but he has the adaptability, player development, leadership. Like what he's done with that defense with no stars has been crazy, dude. Talk about player yeah. development as a trait. Um, yeah, he's taking, you know, mid level to like upper mid level guys and and piece together a defense with literally no holes. Yeah. It's been it's impressive. Trey Hendrickson's probably their best player on defense and you know, he's not even a top yeah, 15. Yeah, they've been sure. pretty consistently like top fifteen, top twelve unit you know, the last couple of years since they've yeah. been good. I mean, it's... And they play good. Oh, I mean, that too. Thing. And yeah, like, if you ask the average fan to name three guys on Cincinnati's defense, I think that 95% of people would struggle to do that. Yep. Um, do you have any more defensive guys? Um, I have one. No. 
I've got I've got one a young guy that I want to throw out, and then three that I think could get. Yeah, him. the last one that really grabbed me is uh, is Giro Evero. Yeah, I yeah, think he. Say, yeah. Everybody was kind of surprised that he made a lateral jump. Um, I don't know how much he was getting a little bit of head coaching buzz, but not you know there were some other guys that I think were more talked about in the cycle, but. Did Peyton try to retain him? I don't even know. I don't. I don't know if he did or not. I don't know if Peyton tried to retain. But him. But I think that you know he gets a good defense and like he walks into a pretty solid defense in Carolina that has a good amount of talent on there. I think that if you know, it's a team in a division that's not very good, and it's a, a team that in a conference that could excel if they play good defense. I mean, they have, they're trotting out a rookie quarterback out there. They've got a couple guys on offense. But really, if they, you know, if you can get this defense to be a top 10 unit, you can make it – you can make the team a playoff team, honestly, in, in, the, in the division that they're in. And I think that if Everell can do – if Everell can, you know, produce some magic with that defense, I think he gets his name right back into the cycle. Yep, I fully agree there. A couple other guys that I think, you know – might get a shot. Aaron Glenn, Lions DC. He interviewed for three jobs yeah. this year, Steve. Like, that's yeah. crazy to think about. <laughs> like, dude interviewed for three jobs. Um, you know, the what's really crazy is the the dichotomy. Be, like, the Lions defense basically had two seasons last year. You had, like, the first half of the year and the second half of the year. First half of the year, you're looking at historically <laughs> bad defense. Second half of the year, very much a different story. And it's weird that Glenn... <laughs> Gets, he gets credit for the rebound, but like he wasn't necessarily responsible for the bad part, I guess. I don't know. They're pinning that on uh, right. Aubrey Pleasant, I suppose. But anyways, the NFL, I know from just people I've talked to in the league, like the NFL unanimously loves Aaron Glenn. Yeah. Like he is a revered person, um, former player, you know, leadership administration. Those That's his wheelhouse. Loves the coach, loves to develop. Um we're yet to remain seen about the adaptability thing. I don't know. We'll have to see this line yeah. this year, but um, I also know that he, from a, like a scheme standpoint, he is very much forward thinking when it comes to, I'm just going to play, I'm going to get eight different defensive backs involved based yeah. on their skill sets. If we got this type of receiver, I'm playing this type of corner. If they got this type of tight end, I got this safety on my bench. I can bring in like, and he will play a lot of six DB sets. Like he does yeah. not care. So, um, I think that will be attractive to teams. That's, that's the way the NFL is going. So there is multiple as you can be. Um, that's a that's a check in the right direction. And Glenn checks that box. We'll see if he gets an opportunity or not. Um, the other two guys, older guys, sixty three and sixty five, four years old. Steve Spagnolo, Vic Fangio. Um, it's it's possible they get another another shot here because they're just that good at yeah. calling defense. Um. I don't know that I would do it if I was a team. Definitely wouldn't do it with Vic. Maybe Spags, I would. And I think I think it's record. It's starting to get recognized that Fangio is an X's and O's coordinator type guy. Like that's what he's yes. built to be. Dude, he he was sixty years old as a coach. First opportunity to coach in the NFL, and he rested his laurels on Teddy Bridgewater, and um. Yeah, Drew Locke. Like he made that decision yeah. willingly. Like there were other avenues to get quarterbacks, and that those are the two guys he decided to roll with in a make or to break it year with one of the best yeah. defenses in the NFL. I just yeah. I can't 
not I'm not willing to go there if I'm a, a team. But um, Spags, I probably would. It's been a while since we've seen him coach, and <laughs> I just love the way he draws. I know his defense are so fun to watch. <laughs> yep. Anyone else of note before we get out of here? Uh, nobody that catches my eye super well. No, not really. I think that's it. We covered about, what, seven guys? In total, 12. But we had like three and three. Three strong yeah. for offense, three strong for defense. I will say it seems like the, uh, the NFL prefers it offensive seems guys. To right start, be, that's what I was going to say is it seems to be moving that way. Like a two-thirds ratio, like 66% of new hires seem to be offensive guys. Um, but it is what it is. Uh, it, it maybe just been that that's the that's I guess the brand of guys that have been available lately. So it's hard to coach defense in the NFL with the way the rules right. are. And, and it's the, it, again, it's, it's easier to get a consistently good offense, I think, than it is a consistently good defense. Consistently good defense takes a lot takes a lot more that isn't totally in your control sometimes. So. Yep. All right, we're going to get out of here. Before we go, though, let me remind you, data.fantasypoints.com. The data suite is live. It is groundbreaking. The sales are insane, tremendous. Yesterday was a great sales day, like flying off the shelf. Good thing for you is we don't actually have a finite amount that we can sell. We have an unlimited amount. So you can go get your product whenever you want. This grocery store is always stocked with data suite potential. So come come get the data suite. Data at fantasypoints.com. You will not regret it. Steve and I and Chris work very, very hard on this product. It is uh it is hundred percent worth your money and worth your time. So check it out. Free trial still by the way. Free trial. Go, and it's go only growing. All right. Yeah, it's only growing too. That's the thing. We're adding new tools. We've already added 17 new features since the thing launched not even a you know a week ago or whatever like it's crazy steve like and then there's there's three or four new tools coming before the season starts even you're gonna get a beautiful coverage matrix on there which is gonna be mm, delicious (laughs) so um check it out all right we're gonna get out here thanks for listening we'll be back next week i think next week we're gonna follow the closest training camp battles that are relevant to to the average guy we're not going to get into like, you know, Seattle's linebacker four <laughs> versus five contest. We'll get into like, hey, what does this player got to do to secure playing time, get on the field more, step step up his role in the offense, and we'll, we'll kind of follow some of those storylines. So, anyways, thanks for listening. I am Brett Whitefield. This is my co-host, Stephen O'Rourke, and we are out. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com.